Live from this is the Just End the Suffering Podcast. For the win. Got it! Oh! He broke his head. Follow me. Follow me to freedom. Here's your host, Mike Phillips. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the latest episode of the Just End the Suffering Podcast, which New York sports talk and long suffering fan. I'm your host, Mike Phillips. You got a good show for you this week. We're going to catch up what's going on with the Giants. Obviously, they are overhauling the entire system here, looking for a new GM, looking for a new head coach. Start of a rebuild here officially. We're going to be joined by Daryl Slater at the Star Ledger. We're going to talk all things Giants here, the state of the searches, what the outlook for that franchise is going to be like. A little NFL playoff talk, too. We're going to get to that in just a bit. We're also going to do our NFL picks for the divisional round. I had a 500-week the first week. I'm going to try and do a little better here in the divisional round. I'm going to be joined by Patriots fan John Stanko. We're going to break down his Patriots beat down by the Bills. We're going to talk about the playoffs. We're going to make some picks. All that's coming up with John in just a bit. Make sure you're locking in that show for this two-minute drill where I have to raise the question, could we see Kyrie Irving playing in home games in the Barclays Center? There is a way. We will see if it happens. We'll talk about that at the end of the show, but... Okay, I'll start with our opening tape. We're going to revisit Super Wild Card Weekend that, to be honest, was not so super. It was not a very well-received Super Wild Card Weekend. That's coming up right after this. Three, two, one. Y'all ready for this? The opening tape. And here we go. All right, we are back here. Opening tip, recapping Super Wild Card Weekend. And to be honest, it was not good. Like most movie sequels, Super Wild Card Weekend 2 was not as good as Super Wild Card Weekend 1. We got only two good games over the weekend. Four bad ones. And one of the two good games was heavily influenced by referees. So, not great. We'll go through this, the uh, list here. Give you some storylines to take away here. Start on chronologically Saturday afternoon. Raiders against the Bengals. The story of this game is obviously be that blown call by the officials late in the second quarter. Joe Burrow throws the touchdown to Tyler Boyd, but you hear the whistle blown before he catches the football. By rule, that ball should be dead. But the refs missed it. That changes the course of the entire game because the Raiders are now chasing a touchdown the rest of the way, and it really impacts how the game got called by the Raiders. It's not take away from the Bengals, who did play very well, who, credit to them, they win the playoff game for the first time in 32 years. You can actually text the guy for the first time because text messaging did not exist until after the Bengals won their last playoff game. But the momentum of that game was fully swayed by that call, especially coming right into the locker room, carries forward into the second half. The Raiders are chasing those points. They stayed in the game the whole way, but it just felt like they were slightly out of reach because of that. And, of course, we were all watching online to see how the NFL responds to it. And typical NFL, they're trying to cover it up. They said that the refs blew the whistle after the ball was caught. And they felt that way. They felt that way on the replay. Therefore, the touchdown stood. Come on, guys. We saw the touchdown. We saw the video. The evidence is out there. We can freeze frame when we hear the whistle, and the ball is still in the air in the middle of the end zone. Come on now. 
Bills-Patriots next on Saturday night. This is a four-point spread, four-and-a-half entering the week, but it ended up as a rout. Buffalo wins 47-17. New England simply could not stop the Bills. Buffalo scored a touchdown on his first seven drives. They never had to punt. They never faced a fourth down. They were perfect on third down. They literally had a perfect game outside of the kicker and missing a PAT. And they were pulling out all the stops. They were doing trick plays or in touchdowns at tackles. It was a lot of fun. And it's very satisfying as a long-suffering Jet fan to see Bill Belichick have the score run up on him after he's done it to everyone else for years. Belichick is always a opponent of running up the score, regardless of the opponent. He did the poor Jaguars a couple weeks ago, 50 to 10. Nice to see him be on the other end of one of those. The questions here, obviously, the defense performance, you have to scratch your head and say, what's going on here? Why couldn't they stop any Bills offense? It makes you throw out that first game they played on Monday night in week 13 and say, you know, it was the weather was why they couldn't, they won that game, not the actual quality of their defense. There's no questions about the upside of New England with Mac Jones, who the media isn't quick to annoy as the next Tom Brady. To be honest, you don't know what you're seeing here. This might be the upside the Patriots are with him, which is fine because they're making the playoffs, but I feel like he's not going to be a guy who's elevating the rest of the team by himself. He's going to need help if he could get you there. This is sort of the Andy Dalton conundrum where Andy Dalton won divisions, took the Bengals to the playoffs many years, but could not win those big games. Now, New England might need to put a perfect situation around him with a strong running game, strong defense, good weapons, and maybe he's Ryan Tannehill. He's helping you get to AFC Championship games, potentially the Super Bowl. A lot has to go right in that spot, and if you're the Jets, you're sitting there saying, saying Mac Jones and New England quarterback, two in Miami, you have to feel pretty good about your situation, chance to improve in the division. Eagles-Bucks on Sunday, that game went as expected. It was a blowout. Jalen Hurts not a good passer. They did not be a playoff team in the regular season, Eagles. That did not happen again. Tampa was not really test fight, missing all of their weapons. They were down their two running backs. They were down Chris Godwin. But they were still up 31 to nothing. So all you have to do here is say, that's it. Game's over. Not going to talk more about this. The best game of the weekend by far, 49ers-Cowboys. And this is a clinic in how to lose a football game for the Cowboys. They committed 14 penalties, a ton of pre-snap fouls, and the absolutely ridiculous play call to end the game. To be clear, they're on the 40-yard line, 14 seconds left, no timeouts. The 49ers are defending the sidelines because the Cowboys have gone down the field on these sideline passes. They decide, yeah, we're going to run a draw. They run it with Dak. He gets down to about the 25-yard line. They do run out of time to spike it. The official has to touch the ball. It doesn't happen. By the time the play gets off, the game's over. Dak should have handed the ball immediately to the official if he's going to do that play, but that was a stupid play call. I've heard from various NFL like sources over the days on the on the internet saying, oh, you know, that play can be run. You have to have at least 18 seconds on the clock to ensure that you have time to spike the ball and get a run here. To me, it's dumb because you're at the 40. It's not like you're at your 40. You're at the 49 or 40. 14 seconds, like you have at least two shots into the end zone, maybe three, and the 49ers defend the sideline. So why not run everybody on streaks and then hopefully somebody's open? That's the problem. 
the question I have here is what is going on here at Dallas? You have the fans out throwing guards to the refs after the game. Dak Prescott's applauding the fans. Come on, Dak. The refs not lose a football game. You guys lost the football game committing 14 penalties and calling stupid play calls. This also falls back on the head coach. You can see strange decisions, these cowboy decisions. He's kicking field goals down 16. He's punting in situations where he should be going for it. The fake punt was a good play call, but then for some reason they decided to leave the punt team on the field to try and draw the 49ers using a timeout. It's clear that Mike McCarthy is holding back the Cowboys. The question I have here with Dallas is, how will Jerry Jones have patience with this? Especially considering he loves Callan Moore. Dan Quinn's a good coordinator. Both are hot candidates for head coaching jobs. Would he be tempted to just fire Mike McCarthy and offer one then the job? Worth watching here. Steelers, Chiefs. This is a game for about a quarter and a half. Steelers, defense kept them in it early. Once the Chiefs woke up, though, they went to a whole other level. Pittsburgh could not match it. And from there, you knew it was over. This is obviously the end of Ben Rossberger's career. He's truly a great of the games to be a future Hall of Famer, but I was a little bothered by the fact they treat him like this squeaky clean, conquering hero. He does have a pair of sexual assault allegations in his past. He's not the greatest guy. It does bother me a bit. But he is gone. Can't see him moves on. Then we go to Monday night, Cardinals Rams. Having the game on Monday was cool. It was nice having Super Wildcard we had extended for third day. The problem was the Cardinals didn't show up. They continued to disappoint performance in the second half to end the season. Think about this for a second here. Arizona was 10-2 on December 5th. They were in the one seed. They finished the year on a 1-5 skid to get bounced on Super Wildcard weekend. This is the second year in a row this team has faded down the stretch. Kyler Murray is 5-11 in games after October in his NFL career. When is the pressure on Cliff Kingsbury to actually build a team that can finish? Where is the pressure here to say, you know what, like, why can't we close things out, win critical games down the stretch? Why? That's all I'll take away from that. The good news is we got rid of the riffraff. All four matches this weekend are much better. We kind of knew going in a few of these games are not going to be good on Super Wildcard Weekend, but we have four very interesting matchups here. 49ers, Packers, Rams, Bucks, Bills, Chiefs. That three in a row, I think, is an excellent way to end the weekend. Even Titans, Bengals, the first game of the weekend, I think, is intriguing. Got two unusual suspects trying to get to the AC Championship game. We will talk all about that and more later on. But we're going to dive into the Giants a bit with Daryl Slater right after this look back at the quarterback sneak play that basically sealed the fate of Joe Judge as Giants head coach right after this. Interesting formation. I, I mean, really, you're at the four-yard line, and, and you you don't feel comfortable enough in your offense to be able to run a traditional play. I mean, I, I get the first one when you put yourself kind of backed up inside the one-yard line. I mean, this is sad. All right, we are back here on the Justin and the Suffering podcast, catching up what's going on with the Giants here. A little bit of uh, NFL playoff talk, too. Join me today. Great friend of the podcast. He covers both New York teams for the Star Ledger. Daryl Slater is here. Daryl, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming back. I also want to start here with the Giants because obviously the Jets is not much going on right now. The Giants, I felt like this season was so strange, particularly after the bye, watching how this thing sort of crumbled. So you obviously saw a lot of this up close. So what was it like seeing this Giants like uh, ball sort of pick up steam and just go snowballing down the hill after after the bye? 
Yeah, no, I mean, that's a great word for it. They really snowballed into into a disaster. And then, um, of course, you know, they beat the Eagles and they're 4-7 and seven and everyone's feeling relatively good. I mean, but it turns out Daniel Jones hurts his neck in that game, winds up ending his season. They don't win the rest of the season. They're always, you know, they finish 0-6. Uh, and I think, you know, ultimately Joe Judge probably would would have survived that if not for, you know, his really bizarre 11-minute press conference rant where he talked about, you know, players knocking on his door, begging to come back next year. He talked about players on other teams who left, um, you know, saying they wish they were still with the Giants. I mean, it was very bizarre. He, he took some not-so-veiled shots at Pat Shermer, the former Giants coach, and also at Ron Rivera. So that John Merrill was not happy about that. Um, you know, and I think the fourth down or the uh, quarterback sneaks in the, in the last game, obviously not happy about that either, but I think it was more so that press conference and the, the losing, of course, albeit without the quarterback um, that doomed Joe judge and the fact that, you know, GMs are, would be, would are going to look at this and say, why do I want to inherit this guy as my coach? And that was going to hamper the giants GM search. So, Joe Judge had his flaws. I think the Giants were probably more flawed than Joe Judge was, if that makes sense. Like, you know, the reason they were terrible was was beyond just him and, and more than just his fault. Um, but he, you know, he didn't help the matters, and more importantly, he didn't help himself by the way he conducted himself down the stretch. And it's pretty crazy that a, you know a Bill Belichick disciple talked himself out of a job, but that's that's kind of what happened here. Um, more than just kind of, it's, it really is what happened here if you look at it. Um, and, and, and the bottom line, too, is that the, it's not like the offense was humming along before Daniel Jones got hurt. They were worse without him, but they were pretty bad with him, um, whether that was with Jason Garrett as the coordinator. And then Freddie Kitchens only had uh, Daniel Jones for one game, and the Giants did beat the Eagles, but the offense was still pretty pretty bad in that game. So, yes, it, it really did snowball. And, and, and now they're looking for a new head coach and a new GM. Yeah, I mean, we knew the GM had changes coming. It basically had be known, I think, by like Halloween, sort of hinted that Dave Gellman was going to retire after the season here. But I think Joe Judge, I mean, I felt like he was pretty safe until he started opening his mouth and talking about these things. And I think, I don't know if you agree, but I feel like he, he did sort of make the decision to fire himself, basically, by doing all these strange things and making the, his job really untenable for the Giants to bring him back. And we saw with all the empty seats in the last game of the season that, like, I think it would have been very hard sell for Mara to go back to the fan base and say he's coming back for another year. He did fire himself. That's a good way of putting it. I mean, he did. I mean, he talked himself out of a job. And this guy is emotional and wound tight. But for the most part, he had he had kept it between the lines with saying you know the right things during the course of his of his two uh, of his two seasons. But um, you know, he he was very defensive about the way he did things, which I think John Mara thought was fine. You know, at first, you know, certainly with the way he conducted practices. But but then, you know, he just couldn't stop. And uh, you know, I think in that eleven minute thing, if you if he just does that, you know, gives a Cliff Notes version of it with the with the less insane stuff taken or the more insane stuff taken out, I think it's probably fine. But like. He was asked a very simple question about why fans should trust him, and he just kept going and going and going, and it kept getting stranger and stranger. Um, I think, yeah, so it would have been a hard sell with the fans, but more importantly, a hard sell um, for the GM candidates. They want to attract an um, sought-after GM candidate from outside the organization. I mean, they're not going to promote Kevin Abrams. Um, And and, and why would would a GM – want to come in and 
inherit Joe Judge, a hot seat coach as his coach. And now I think you know, the one thing you look at it and say, well, the GM would have kind of got a freebie year to evaluate the roster. He could have fired Judge after the season. But what happened is, you know, if Judge had a you know a good year, you know, and you're stuck with this guy. So, uh, you know, I, it wasn't entirely Joe Judge's fault that he got fired. Um, because the roster was a disaster of Dave Gettleman's making, but I do think it ultimately was the correct and most pragmatic move, and Judge made the decision easier by by running his mouth. Yeah, I think the scenario you described, where if the GM comes in and kept Judge was kept and Judge had a good year, I felt like they've been going down the 2013 Jets road, where Idzik gets brought in, Rex Ryan's a good year, they're forced to stick together, and they're both gone the year after. Would not have been good scenario for the Giants to play out. Right, exactly. These arranged marriages very rarely work, um, and that certainly is one where it did not work. I mean, the Rex Ryan won eight and eight that first year, and they and they kept him. Um, now, in that situation, it's not like the GM had full power over the coach. Now, the Giants have made it clear that you know the new GM is going to have say over the coaching hire uh, and over the coach when he, when he's here. So I, you know, he, presumably that means he can fire the coach. Um, so the Giant, the Jets did go eight and eight that first year in 2013. They kept Rex Ryan proved to be fool's gold. Um, you know, they were a disaster in 14 and then both guys got fired. So, I mean, if you're going to hire a GM and trust him, you want to at least give him his ability to hire his own coach. So I guess from the Giants perspective, they look at it and say, well, why not just do that from the get-go? Why not just give him that ability from the get-go? And that's what's going to happen. I mean, the GM will lead the search for the new head coach. You know, I asked John there very directly on the, on his uh, video chat, press conference the other day you know will this gm be able to hire whichever coach he wants without final say from you and he basically said no ownership has final approval but this will be ultimately i presume they're not it's not like he's going to ask to hire uh you know i can't even think of a terrible coaching candidate but i'm sure the, the candidate will be fine enough for ownership to say yep rubber stamp go ahead so uh they better make sure they nail this gm hire because they're putting a lot of trust in whoever it is they hire yeah, and the GM hired instantly because obviously we're recording on Tuesday morning. They finished the first round of virtual interviews yesterday. The list of candidates I feel like is very impressive. They got a lot of people outside the organization, which they have not done since George Young. I feel like it needs to be done here. So when you look at the list of people they assembled here, what do you think about the candidates they're looking at? Good. You know, I think, you know, all nine of the known candidates are outside candidates. They wrapped up their initial round of interviews. This is all done via Zoom. Uh, yesterday on Monday, so from Wednesday to Monday, they did nine inter- interviews, and you know, I think if you go through this list, there's certainly some attractive candidates. Um, you know, I think you have to consider, you know, the Bills, Joe Shane, uh, Ryan Poles from the Chiefs, Monty Ford from the Titans, Joe Ortiz from the Ravens, and then probably um, Adam Peters from the 49ers would be probably the front runners, and the you know the other guys being Adrian Wilson from from the Cardinals and Quentin Harris from the Cardinals, Ryan Cowden. Uh, I guess you could put him in the front runner from the Titans and then ran, ran Carthorn from, from the Niners. Those are sort of the lower profile candidates, but I guess, you know, Peters is a guy and is, who's been talked about as a future GM for a little while. Shane as well. Poles too. He's gotten interest from the, from the Vikings and bears. So um, I think the Monty Austin for one would make a lot of sense because of the Patriots background. If they had kept Joe judge, not saying it won't make sense now, but um, you know, he's got some interest from, from the Vikings. Um, I believe he talked to the Bears as well. So, um, yes, uh, they've gone at they've. There's been a legit search. I mean, it's not like 2017. At the end of 2017, they hired Dave Gettleman. The only other guys they interviewed were Mark Ross and Kevin Abrams, internal candidates, and then Lewis Riddick from ESPN, and that was it. It was a four-interview uh, search, not even a search. 
It was quick. It was uh, not thorough. And it really only involved one true outside candidate because Dave Gettleman had previously worked for uh, the Giants. So they're not going in that direction now. And I think this is a wise approach. Um, now, you know, you can do the wise, wise approach, which is look outside and then let your new GM hire, hire the new coach. I think both of those things are smart and the Giants are doing that. But you, ultimately, the owner still has to hire a competent GM. And that's where the buck goes back to John Mara in that case. So um, let's see if he's able to do that. But I think the search has been good so far. I mean, there's nothing really to say it's been a flawed process. And now they just have to figure, as you and I are talking here on Tuesday, um, what's the process going to be for narrowing the list down to finalists? And I'm sure they'll obviously talk to those people uh, in, per- in person. Yeah, for sure. I mean, obviously, they're working right now. They pick the GM. I think the, the goal is hopefully end of this week, early next week, they have a GM in place and they start looking for the coach. And it's interesting you brought your question from the press conference of John Mara about whether he would have final say on the coach situation because we've already heard reports that they love Brian Dable, they love Brian Flores, and you know that Mara has fallen in love with coaches before. Like, do you see a scenario where Mara like has his new GM? His new GM says, "Hey, I want to hire Kellen Moore as my coach," and he says. And Myra says, hmm, should we take another look at Brian Dable or Brian Flores? Could you see something like that happening? I mean, you'd, you'd hope not if this is going to be a truly unilateral decision for essentially unilateral decisions for the new GM. You would hope that John Merritt gets the heck out of the way and lets the guy do his job. Um, but, you know, I, I suppose it's possible. Um, Brian Flores is certainly worth taking a look at, as I wrote this week, but he, he's got he, he's got a big ego. I mean, obviously with how things ended in Miami, not entirely his fault um, um, there. I mean, their ownership is a mess, but um, you know, I think the new GM will have to figure out if he wants Brian Flores and say, Hey, can I, can I actually work with this guy? Can I work cohesively with him? Is Brian Flores going to be willing to let me as the GM uh, run the show? Cause he didn't want that. Brian Flores wanted a full say in Miami. Um, so he, and he just got fired. So I don't know how much the guy's personality and mindset will have changed in the short period of time. Uh, since he since he got let go, I mean, good coach and certainly a proven coach in terms of being able to do some things with the Dolphins roster that maybe are you know better than expected. Um, but yeah, I would I would I would think and hope that uh, John Mara would let the GM would get out of the way and let the GM do what he is told the GM he's going to let him do, which is which is hire the coach. Yeah, and I also want to f- go to a like couple of player questions of the Giants too, because obviously we've also heard the rumors with some of these quarterbacks in other markets saying, you know what, like I would be interested in playing with the Giants or the rumors about Russell Wilson or the rumors about Deshaun Watson if his legal situation gets cleared up here. And my question is, obviously, the Giants have the picks to make a trade. And do you think it's worth it for them? Does it make sense to them to try and get the top flight quarterback right now if, the, if those guys say, I want to come play in New York? No, I don't think it makes sense for, you know, I get that they want to come play in New York, but I mean, like, look at that line. It's a disaster. I know Russell Wilson has had to deal with a bad line in Seattle, so I don't know if it makes a lot of sense for them or for the Giants. I mean, um, the problem is, you know, running it back with Daniel Jones another year, I mean, that's a tough sell for, for fans who are tired of, of Daniel Jones. But I don't think the Giants, I mean, if you do that, like, then you're, if you go get a Russell Wilson or like Aaron Rodgers or Sean Watson, I mean, you, you probably are a team that feels like you're on the cusp of, of being a win now team and the giants are not there yet. I mean, they're not going to be um, a win now team in 2022. So I don't know how much sense it makes. I can understand these guys wanting to put that out there for, you know, maybe they feel like they do want to play in New York, even if the team stinks. Um, 
but you know, leverage certainly, uh, you know, if, if you want, you know, to, to drive up your, uh, market or whatever, whether it's, you know, trying to get what you want out of your, your current team or whatever, um, certainly floating that out there and in, in potential interest would add to your leverage, but I just don't, it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I don't think that, you know, bringing in Russell Wilson would go ahead and change everything for the giants, you know, from being a four or six win team to being an 11 or 12 win team. And that's the goal. If you bring in Russell Wilson and you're, and you're taking on that contract, that's the goal. It's not to be, uh, you know, an eight and nine team. It's to be a team that's, you know, contending for a Super Bowl because that's what he wants to. Oh yeah, for sure. And I think obviously the big problem here that the new GM is going to inherit is basically that, the cap situation they get left behind is a disaster. They only have like three million in cap room. There's no easy guys say, oh, cut A, B, and C, and we have thirty-five million dollars in cap room. So you wonder here if this is more appealing in the sense to a GM that hey, they can tell the fans, look, it's a mess. We're gonna use twenty twenty-two to fix the cap, evaluate Jones some more, get some young players in here, trade back, get some more picks, and just sort of get right and then next year try and add jet fuel, whatever we're doing here. Do you think that's sort of the play for the new GM? Yeah, I, I don't think trying to rush into a quick fix in 2022 makes a lot of sense because I don't even know, it's not even really possible considering that, you know, usually mo- you make most of your win-now moves in free agency and they don't have the cap space to do it because they made, you know, they did dumb things like signing Kenny, Kenny Galladay last year that has handcuffed them cap-wise and Dave Gettleman also restructured a lot of contracts in order to free up cap space, which also has hamstrung them cap-wise entering 2022. So their cap situation is not in a good spot. Um, this is going to have to be a draft-oriented rebuild, at least early on in the process here. They do have a lot of draft capital. Um, and so you look at it and say, well, do you want to blow all that draft capital for one player uh, when you're not going to be able to put you know, win-now free agency pieces around him? Or do you go ahead as the new GM and, and just try to deliberately uh, rebuild through the draft, if that, even if that means trading back? Or you know, they got five picks in the first three rounds. If you look at the Tankathon draft power rankings, the Jets are one, the Giants are two. So they have an enormous amount of draft capital, the Giants do, and they could – they could use that. I mean, if you're a team that is on the cusp of, of a feeling like you can break through, maybe use that to go ahead and go get a player. Um, and the Jets are probably to a point here where they need to push for the playoffs next year. So um, maybe that's a bit more of a mindset for them, even though they're not going to trade for a quarterback. But um, I don't think the Giants are, are there yet. I mean, they're, the cap is a disaster. And then, so even if the GM nails all five of these premium picks in the first three rounds, uh, you know, how many of those guys are going to be like breakout stars as rookies? It's, it's hard to imagine them going five for five in that, even if all five wind up being, becoming productive players. So, uh, yes, it's going to be another likely long year for the Giants. I would guess likely with Daniel Jones. Maybe they bring in a, a veteran who um, who can challenge him or whatever, or replace him eventually. The decision comes here this offseason by early May, and what they want to do is his fifth-year fifth option. Um and so, look, I think the new GM could certainly decline it because it's $21 million fully guaranteed for 2023. Uh, if you go ahead and decline it, and he has a great year, you could, you could franchise tag him. Um, and if you decline it and he has a, has a bad year, then, then you're not on the hook for anything in 2023. Um, so um, I think that probably that's the best course of action. Decline it, wait and see, and then you always have the franchise tag to keep the guy uh, under, under your control. Uh, for 2023, if that's if that's what you want to do, yeah, I think it makes some sense. I want to touch on your point also with the idea of them trading picks or player because I think you made a good point. With the Jets being a different spot than the Giants are, they have to try and go for it next year. I think, for example, if the Jets finding number one receiver on the trade market, they could consider using some of the picks to go get that guy, help their offense out. The Giants, 
if you get trade away a couple of picks for Deshaun Watson or Russell Wilson, you still have to replace all those guys plus all the cap rooms. It doesn't make sense to then make that kind of move. I mean, it's not like the Jets are they have a perfect roster, but but the Jets, the Jets have the cap flexibility in addition to the draft capital, so they could take on a a prominent player, um, even if that doesn't mean Joe Douglas going out and splurging in free agency. You know, so they can they have the flexibility to go sign big free agents, which I don't think Joe Douglas will do. I think it's more of a probably a volume approach is appropriate because they do have multiple holes in their roster, um, but they can certainly go out and and take on a big contract and, and ship out some draft picks to get a really prominent player, um, albeit obviously not a quarterback. Um, or, or they can just go ahead and not trade the picks. They can make the picks or trade back and, and make more picks, address it by volume in the draft, and then address it by volume in free agency too. So I think that's the situation for the Jets because, yeah, like you look at them and you think like, oh, well, how can you say that they should be trying to push for a playoff spot? Well, look, I mean – this is going to be uh, the situation. They're not. They don't have a new GM. I mean, this is this is really the third true offseason for Joe Douglas because he didn't get hired until after the draft and free agency in 2019. So this is his third true offseason. The clock is now ticking on him. The honeymoon is over. Um, even if people, you know, look at Robert Sala and have a little more patience with him because last year was his first year. So Joe, Joe Douglas needs to push for results in in 2022, and that that simply means I think if you're the, if you're the Jets. Can you be a nine and eight team? Now nine and eight teams missed the playoffs this year, as we saw, even with the extra uh, wild card. A bunch of them did. So if the Jets are nine and eight and they're in it to the end and they miss the playoffs, or maybe they make it. Certainly, if they make it, it's a success. I think then you can say, okay, there's some progress here. They, they need to be relevant. I mean, then that's got to be the goal. So uh, Joe Douglas needs to make moves this offseason to make them relevant, and that doesn't just mean you know picking a few players in the draft and maybe some of them work out and some of them don't. I think you've got to take bigger swings than that. If that, you know, whether that means, you know, trying to get a guy in free agency or, um, or trading for someone. Absolutely. I want to wrap up with a couple of quick things in the playoffs. Obviously super wild card weekend. The sequel was not as good as the original. The games were pretty much blowouts, the exception of two. And I, I got to say, I'm worried as a fan. I know this, the extra playoffs spot is fun, but Part of me worries that, you know, going forward, we're going to have a lot more weekends like this where teams that just barely get in don't belong on the field with two seeds and that are going to have problems like this going forward. Yep, exactly. I mean, from a competitive, I can understand why the NFL did it from a revenue standpoint, certainly, because, you know, people are going to watch bad NFL games. That's just the way it is. I mean, um, whether it's for gambling or whatever, people are going to watch these games. Um, but from a competitive standpoint, um, yeah, I mean, the, the, you look at last year, Indy was a seventh seed. They lose by three to Buffalo. Um, the Bears are the seventh seed in the NFC, and they get whacked down in New Orleans. So three of the four seventh seeds, including both of them this year, have been non, non-contending teams in, in the first round of the playoffs. So um, from a competitive standpoint, you look at it and say, jeez, uh, I mean, this is not, they're not getting much return on the, on the interest here. Now, it does add some intrigue to the end of the, you know, the end of the regular season and you know, team makes the playoffs or whatever. Um, but, you know, I, I don't think, you know, you, you look at the Bears, for instance, not like they could build on that in, in 2021. They didn't build on it. Their coach and GM both got fired, um, even if it bought them another year because they had that, because they did make the playoffs, you know, as a sort of, it feels meaningless. It feels like a little more hollow uh, when you go out as a seventh seed and then don't even contend. Um, and that's certainly what happened uh, here with the Steelers and the, and the Eagles and the uh, in this, in this first round. So yeah, no, I'm sure at some point one of these seven seeds is going to win, a, is going to win a game. Um, 
I mean, that's the NFL is sort of built on, on parody, and it's not like a 16 being a one or something like that in the NCAA tournament. But uh, but certainly this year, you saw another example of uh, the competitive value return not being particularly great for for this extra wild card. Yeah, for sure. The good news is now we got rid of all of these sort of riffraff who don't really belong there. And the four games this weekend are a lot of fun. We got four great matchups. I think going through the slate is not an uncompelling game in the bunch. If you were sort of like power ranking, say, like which game interests you the most to the least? Like how would you rank them? Yeah, you're right. I mean, it was all chalk in the first round except for the Niners beating Dallas. Um, and, and certainly Niners Green Bay will be interesting, but I, I do think the Packers will, will roll fairly easily in that game. The other... The other games are, are, are very fascinating to me. Um, you know, I think can I, I like Tampa over the Rams. I know that's probably I'm probably going to pick all chalk here. No, I, I won't. Uh, but in the NFC, I like Tampa over the Rams. That's an interesting one. Um, but I, I think the two in the AFC are more interesting than either of them in, in the NFC. Um, and certainly, I would put the Green Bay game at the bottom, and maybe the Rams and Tampa right there in the middle with um with Cincinnati and Tennessee but I love the Buffalo Kansas City game I'm fascinated to see how that'll unfold the rematch of the AFC championship game just two awesome young quarterbacks um so that one really intrigued me I would I'm most interested in watching that one um yeah Cincinnati Tennessee um Joe Burrow such an awesome year I mean he was the number one rated quarterback by PFF I think a lot of people don't really pay a ton of attention to the Bengals but I mean this guy's awesome I mean <laughs> He, he had a great year. He was rated ahead of Tom Brady and PFS rating just by a little bit, but still ahead of him. Uh, I really think the Bengals can go into to, to Nashville and, and, and beat this Titans team, which you know, people who are kind of casual NFL fans say, well, Titans are the one seed in the AFC. The AFC feels wide open to me. I feel like I would not be surprised if the, if the Bengals made the Super Bowl. Like, I'm legitimately not surprised. I think they can beat uh, Buffalo or Kansas City, and I certainly think they can beat the Titans. So uh, while that one's interesting to me, uh, I do. I do think the the Buffalo Kansas City game is more interesting. Um, and and heck, I'll, I'll I'll probably wind up picking Buffalo and uh, and and the Bengals. Why not? A little bit of a change of pace, um, and a little bit of an upset there. But uh, I think probably chalk in the NFC. I think you're another Green Bay Tampa Bay uh, NFC title game. All right, there you have it, Daryl. Thanks for all the time. I really appreciate. It. Before I let you go, how can people follow you on social media? Keep up your coverage for the Star Ledger. Yeah, no problem. Happy to happy to come on. Um, so just Daryl Slater on Twitter, D A R R Y L S L A T E R, and then our our website is nj.com/slash/giants or nj.com/slash/jets, and you'll find all of our NFL stuff uh, there. All right, we sure be following as you cover the Giants searches here to sort of rebuild our organization. Daryl, thanks for all the time. Really appreciate it. No problem. Show me the money. All right, show me the money. NFL picks are here for the divisional playoff round. Join me today. We heard him back in week number four doing picks. We also got to talk to him over the holidays for the Pop Culture Party 3. The great John Stanko from Barstool is back with us. John, how are you? I'm doing well, Mike. How about yourself? Doing pretty good. And I know I had to get this out of the way early. It made my Saturday much better watching your team lose. I, that's fine. Listen, uh, I I was watching the game with my girlfriend, and it was a blowout. And I politely said, I'm going to watch the rest of this. You don't have to. And she promptly got up and got ready for bed. <laughs> so it was not a very enjoyable watch. Um, but, it, it, I mean, credit to Buffalo. They beat the Patriots' asses into the ground. 
Yeah, I will also say credit to you as a good boyfriend saying, you know what, you don't have to watch this misery. I will suffer by myself. And no, I, yeah, yeah, I suffered by myself on the couch, drank an extra glass of whiskey to get through it. And I just bared and grinned the Bills putting on literally a perfect offensive game, literally no mistakes. Yeah. So we couldn't stop a, a drop of water in the ocean. Like it was awful. It was a terrible experience. So, yeah. I don't know. And to make to add to the insult of the injury here, like they got the score run up on them, which Belichick always does to other teams. That feels weird for them to be on the other end of that. Yeah, but again, I I don't have a problem with that. It, I if you can run up the score, run up the score. It is the other team's job to stop you. I've been that way in professional sports. I've been that way when I play sports. It's just it, you, it's the other team's job to stop you. If they can't, they can't. Sure, you can maybe like not do a hail mary pass every time if you're playing football, but like. You're still going to score points. Don't just run the ball out and run out the clock when you're up by 30. Try and score 50. So I actually respect Buffalo in that nature. I genuinely do. Good for them. Yeah, they moved on. They're going on to play the Chiefs. The Patriots now, they have an interesting offseason ahead of them because going into the year, actually, were not that high for them. Then they look like they're going to be the number one seed for a little bit, and then they faded down the stretch. And leaves you questions, obviously, like, what's next year? It's like, Mac, is Mac Jones going to ascend where he can carry a team? Is he thinking he's a spot where he needs more help around him to sort of get them where they need to go? What do you think? One, I think he needs more help around him. I think any quarterback will say, can I have more help around me? Sure. Great. Thanks. I'll take it. Uh, so I think that's an easy answer. Um, in terms of expectations this year, I thought it was a fringe playoff team. If all things break well, guess what? The Patriots were a fringe playoff team. Things broke pretty well, especially in the middle middle portion of the season. And then we got to big boy football and we were humbled. If in all honesty, I see this season as success. Mac Jones was good. Um, sometimes I hate the Boston media. There are people on Twitter saying Mac Jones played poorly against the bills. No, he didn't. Mac Jones probably played the best of any Patriot on the field that day readily visible to the naked eye. He was trying, he cared his first interception, an unbelievable play by bird. I mean, just an unbelievable athletic play and achievement. Like, that game sealed the game, if you will. That was like already the nail in the coffin with that first interception. And the second one was tipped. So it's one of those things. The defense is the one who let up 50 freaking points. It wasn't Mac Jones's fault. Um, so I love Mac Jones. I think this team is on the way up. But like you said, a lot of things in the offseason to mingle around because there's a lot of possible big names, leave, big name leaving, big names leaving. So Bill Belichick, as both a coach and GM, has a lot of decisions to make. Yeah, I know a certain corner of yours who look very good in green and white next year. Yeah, I think J.C. Jackson should stay put where he was. I would appreciate that. But when we might lose Devin McCourty, he's contemplated retirement before. Now he's off contract again. He's been our starting safety now for nearly a decade. Dante Hightower, granted, he's slower than molasses compared to when you, when you watched him on that Saturday. But he's possibly going to retire. Matthew Slater, Pro Bowl uh, special teamer, uh, team captain for God knows how long since I can remember. He's possibly going to retire. And then you got Jacoby Myers, who was the most reliable weapon uh, on the outside for the Patriots this year. He's not a type A receiver, not even a type B, maybe a C plus, but he is that possession guy you need. Um, James White, he was hurt this year, but he's not under contract either. And he's a great safety back to have. There's a lot of positions that need to be addressed during the offseason. Patriots spent a ton of money this past offseason to get the talent in and to make themselves relevant for this year, which they did. I'm not upset that they did that but they put themselves in a tight spot for this offseason, and they need to make some tough decisions. But pay the man J.C. Jackson. He ain't going nowhere. 
Yeah, I also want to ask, you mentioned the Micah Hyde pick that, that uh, Matt Jones threw in the first quarter. Is that one of those, when you see that kind of play after they score the first down, you're like, yep, it's not our day. Yeah, it's not our day. It's not our day. I literally, I think I was up folding laundry when that happened, and I devastated, and I just looked at my girlfriend, and I was just like, that's just a great play. I can't be angry about that play. There's nothing bad about that play. Like, Mac Jones made the right throw. He made the right decision, and a safety of all pro caliber came and made an insane grab. Like there was, I listened to some podcasts and they said that Mac Jones pump faked in that direction already thinking, trying to convince the safety. He was going to Hunter Henry who was running in the same area, but Hunter Henry ran his route too deep where the pump fake did not have an impact because his safety didn't have to adjust where he was. So maybe that's a fault, but again, it was the right decision by, by Mac Jones to throw it. Aguilar was there waiting and it was just an unbelievable play. I mean, all credit to Hyde. Like he just, he came out of nowhere. Yeah, absolutely loves it. Let's go ahead a little bit to this weekend here. We got four great games on tap. After Super Wildcard Weekend, I, I made a great movie reference at the top of the podcast. Thank you. The sequel was not as good as the original. Would you agree with that? <laughs> I I would probably agree. I would probably agree. Yeah, I think this weekend we have a much better slate of football than what we got last weekend. Uh yeah, I mean, I think there's more competitive games to say. Um, I I like a lot of the underdogs this week. The underdogs are barking. I wouldn't say the same thing about last week, but this week you look at these lines and you look at the games and it's, you could you can make a case for every single team. Oh, you can. And let's get to the pick is the reason why you're here. My buddy, Dan Martini was here last week. We did all six games, super wildcard weekend. He came out on top. He went four and two on the week. His winners were, he had the Bengals laying the points against the Raiders, laying the six. He had the Bucks laying the eight and a half on Sunday afternoon. He had the 49ers getting the three. He had the Chiefs getting the 12 and a half. He lost on your Pats plus four and a half and on the Cardinals plus four. So four and two week for Dan. That's not bad. I think I was three and three. Uh, I would have told him not to bet the Patriots. I didn't. I did not waste my money on that. Let me tell you. Um, though I was with him on losing on the Cardinals for sure. Um, I had the Cardinals straight up on, on Monday night and they just decided not to play football. So I went to bed at halftime and knowing I had lost some money. Well, you and I have one thing in common. We both went three and three last week. I had three winners. I was with you on the Bills. They laid the four and a half. I got that right. I also was in on the Bucks and the Chiefs. I've lost to the Raiders plus the six. The Cowboys laying three is dumb. You've been the Cowboys in the playoffs. That was stupid on my part. That was so dumb of you. <laughs> yeah. It was one of those things where the entire public was on San Francisco, but it was like, it, it's Mike McCarthy in the playoffs. It's the Dallas Cowboys. Good things don't happen to them. This actually makes sense. And for once, the public was right. The public dog was right. Yeah, the public was right. I should have gone with them. And the I had the Cardinals with you plus four. I thought that we put up a better effort. And I got to also realize that Cliff Kingsbury is a bad second half coach. Ugh, he's ter- he's a bad second half of the season coach. Yes. He just, his team has not made adjustments at all. And Kyler Murray, he, it, it's crazy how the moment looked too big for him. It was, he was, we were so sped up in that first half. That pick six was what was caught two yards from the end zone. Yeah. That terrible screen pass just, ugh. Ugly football. Yeah, and Kyler Murray, 5-11 and 11 in games after October in his career on the last couple of years. So not a good sign if you're a Cardinal fan. No, no, it's not. I mean, people theorize that's because he gets hit so much at the start of the season when he's jumping all around and doing all of his running capability, but not many design runs at all on Monday night from what I saw and from the, in the second half of the season as well. So maybe he does get beat up a little bit. Yeah, and I get they had no D-Hop. And no, not even Hopkins hurts. You can't lose that game by 30. You, you got to be better than that. No, you got to be better than that. They have enough talent on that roster to, to do something with it, and they just they didn't. I, I there was no adjustment to their game plan from what I saw. And credit to McVeigh though, uh, he came out. His team was rolling, and 
If they play as well as they did on Monday night, it's going to be tough for anyone to beat them, and they're going to make any game a contest in the NFC. Yeah, so on the year, Dan, I mean, the Challengers this year, 26-32-2, counting the playoffs, 4-2 and two postseason. I'm 32-27-1, 3-3 in the postseason. So Challengers up one in the playoff round. I'm still up on the overall contest. But that right, you're still up on the overall. I think I think your your Challengers record is about where I am this year on my own picks. I think I'm around like 48 49%. Yeah. So maybe not making money, but not necessarily losing a lot either. So guess what? I'm right on the 50-50 mark, if you will. So we'll see if I can uh, improve the Challengers record a bit. Yeah, I'm on the positive side of the ledger. We'll see if it stays that way. we got four more games to pick this week. We're going to start off. We're going to go one at a time, one game at a time. We're going to go start off here with the Thursday, I mean, Saturday afternoon game here, 4.30 on CBS. Reason the Lions from Stanko's own Barstool Sportsbook. The Bengals at the Titans. Saturday, 4.30 on CBS. The Bengals are three and a half point underdogs in Tennessee. John, what direction are you going here? I'm going with the Tennessee Titans. It is crazy how the number one team in the AFC is the nobody believes in us team. It's bonkers. Nobody respects the Titans, and now everyone loves Joe Burrow and the Bengals, right? Burrow comes out with those cool shades on, and he's joking about the whistle last game. I didn't hear no whistle. It was a touchdown. Everyone is buying the the hot Bengals right now, and they are a great story. First win in, like, what, three decades or whatever? Absolutely bonkers. I think that Tennessee is going to come out. I think that this is a huge game for AJ Brown. And I don't know. I don't think Derrick Henry is going to have a major impact on the actual game, but I do think his presence on the sideline and him even getting a couple big runs is going to be a huge emotional lift to a team that's coming off a bye. They're getting healthy at the right time. Mike Vrabel is a hard nosed coach, and I think he's going to tell his pass rush to beat up on Joe Burrow as much as possible. So I'm going to say take Tennessee minus three and a half. I think maybe Joe Burrow has a chance to win the game at the end with a late touchdown, but they're going to come up just short, so I'm going with Tennessee. Yeah, we're going to make that a family play here with the Titans. I have to be honest, I may have a few shekels on the line here with Tennessee getting the Super Bowl. I did have a, throw a couple wagers down on them, but also this is a team, like you said, number one seed in the AFC. People tend to underrate this team. This team is very good. They went on the road. They beat, Can- they beat Kansas City and Buffalo this year. They went and beat the Rams after Derrick Henry got hurt. They have a lot of things going in their favor here. And I think the number's too low. I think it should be closer to like four or five points. I'm getting three and a half. I'll lay it easily. Yeah, I would agree. If this gets up to like five points, though, I'd five and a half out of the Vegas zone a little bit. Uh, I'd be tempted to take Cincinnati because I do think it's a one possession game because Joe Burrow has that intangible quality to make any game competitive. Um, and we saw how crazy they can get when they play the Raiders and stuff like that. That game was bonkers to the end. But I do think Tennessee comes out on top. All right, next up here, Saturday night, 8-15 on Fox. The 49ers and the Packers are rematch of the 2019 NFC Championship game. The Packers are favored by six. Big questions for the Niners, the availability of Nick Bosa and Fred Warner. Stanko, where are you going with this one? I'm going with the San Francisco 49ers, especially if Nick Bosa and Fred Warner are playing. This is the worst team for Green Bay to play, Mike. This is a team that is happy with taking eight-minute drives with 16 plays, milking the clock for as much as possible with a fantastic and dynamic run game. That's the exactly what you want to go against Aaron Rodgers. You keep him off the field, you have the best shot at winning. And San Francisco may be the best team in the NFC to go against Green Bay right now. I mean, credit to the San Francisco in the first round pulling off the upset. I think they have a chance of doing the same thing here. As long as Jimmy G does not make a crucial late interception and give Aaron Rodgers a last chance to win the game. But I'm going with San Francisco plus six, especially if Nick Bosa and Fred Warner are both playing. 
All right, we're gonna go heads up here. I'm gonna take the Packers laying the six here. And I think for me, the big thing that turns you off of this game is the Jimmy Garoppolo effect. He got a shoulder injury in this game. He did not look great against the Cowboys on Sunday. He missed a couple of wide open throws at the end of the game. He had some mistakes in there. And I think this Packer pass was gonna be a big problem for them. I think they're gonna after him. They think they're gonna stop the run game down. I know there's a risk of the cover here because San Francisco will play this close and they'll play it tight and they will run the ball. But I think with what's going on here, give me the Packers laying the points. It's less than a touchdown. I think if it got a little higher, I'd be less comfortable with this. But where it is, I'm going to take the Packers. Okay, fair enough. I'd be curious to see what the over-under on pass attempts is for Jimmy Garoppolo because I could see him throwing less than 20 this game if the game goes to script the way that Kyle Shanahan wants it to. Yeah, remember when he's played the NFC title game a couple of years ago, these two teams, he threw seven passes, something like that. So if they could, they, that's probably what they want to do again. It's a matter of Green Bay can stop the run. Exactly, exactly. All right. Next up, you're going to Sunday, 3.05 on NBC. The Rams at the Buccaneers. Tom Brady's team laying three points. Are you taking your former quarterback? Are you going against him? Hell no, I'm going against them. I don't want Tom Brady to win. I hate the Patriot fans who just automatically put on a Bucks jersey and root for Tom Brady to win. I don't want it. I'm taking the Los Angeles Rams plus three, not only because I want Tom Brady to lose and I want and I just don't want him to win. I think they have a legit shot at winning this game if they play as well as they did on Monday because I don't think the Tampa Bay defense is as good as the stats say, and I think you could run on this Tampa Bay team. They allow less than 100 yards per game, Mike, but that's only because teams rush for less than 20 attempts on them per game. Basically, I think they were maybe 20.3 in the regular season, so maybe just over. If Los Angeles can get the running game going at least a little bit with Sony Michelle and Akers back, I think that Los Angeles has a chance to win this game outright. I really do, because I think this is where, this is a game where the weapons that Brady lost, the Godwin and the Brown who can get open in the slot really quickly, I think that that's going to be a huge detriment this game with the pass rush that the Rams can bring if they get to them. So I'm going with the Rams, getting the points in Tampa Bay, pulling off the upset. Yeah, we're going to go heads up again. I'm going to take Tom Brady laying the three points here. For me, I know he's met in week three. I know the Rams won that game then in L.A., but deal's going to Tampa. Tom Brady in a big spot. For me, I just cannot put money on Matthew Stafford in a road playoff game to outduel Tom Brady. I just can't. I know the the Bucks have issues. I think they have enough talent on that team, though, especially if they get the backs back this week. I think they're going to find a way to get this done here. Three's not a big number. Go lay with the Bucks. Yeah, the one thing I'd be worried about is if Leonard Fournette is back in this game and he's back at full health, then I'd be very nervous about my bet. I'd be very, very nervous because Leonard Fournette, he, playoff Lenny is going to come out and he's going to put up big numbers. All right, last but not least, the game of the weekend, in my opinion. The Bills at the Chiefs, Sunday, 640 on CBS. The Chiefs are fair by just two at Arrowhead. Where are you going, Sanko? Give me the Buffalo Bills, baby. Bills Mafia. This team looked so good against the Patriots and hate on the Patriots all you want. They were still a top five defense entering the playoffs easily. They were ranked number two in terms of like points allowed per game entering the playoffs. Guess what? Buffalo Bills beat the brakes off of them. The Bills are a more explosive offense than Kansas City right now, right? And they have a better ranked defense. I mean, home field advantage is roughly two and a half points this year. So if you look at that, I mean, it's just a toss up game, but I think Josh Allen right now is playing better than Patrick Mahomes. I think that Sean McDermott has said, hey, Josh Allen, this whole offense is gonna be on you. If you can run for 20 yards and barrel over a linebacker, do it, make us win this game. Their whole entire mindset flipped when they were in the second half against Tampa Bay. And they said, Josh Allen, this game is yours. I think this is a game where Josh Allen takes it into Arrowhead. They won already once there before this year. Give me the Buffalo Bills to go to the AFC Championship game. We're going to make it a family play at close out. I'm also going with you with the Bills, getting the two points here. And this is one where Buffalo's look very impressive down the stretch. And Kansas City, the last few weeks, have been a little wobbly at points. I mean, the Denver game, it took them a while to get going. 
Pittsburgh gave them trouble the first like quarter and a half where they turned the Jets on. You can't do that against the Bills. The Bills are too explosive. Their defense is very good. I saw up close my team what happened when they tried to stop them. They all, they had a lot of issues there. And Buffalo's offense, I think they're on a mission here. I think they're going to play very well. I think they get revenge for last year's AFC title game. I'm with you on the Bills. Yeah. All right. So there we go. We got two family affairs and two going head to head. But I would love this matchup on Sunday night. What a way to close out the weekend. Right. Whatever the over is, just take it for fun because you want to root for points a galore in this game. Oh, yeah, definitely hammering the over here. And to reset the picture of the week, the Bengals and Titans. Stanko is going with Titans laying three and a half. The 49ers plus six. The Rams plus three. And the Bills plus two. Three underdogs for Stanko this week. I am going three favorites. I have the Titans laying three and a half. Going with Stanko there. Heads up, Packers minus six. Heads up, Bucks minus three. A family play, the Bills plus two. And those are your picks for the divisional round of the playoffs. And coming up next week on this pick segment here, we are trying to keep it, you know, with teams involved in the postseason here. So I'm bringing my buddy Joe Chaffee. He's a big fan of the Tennessee Titans. So we'll talk about maybe them hosting the AFC Championship game. Hopefully he's a happy guest and he's not a demoralized one after his team's been eliminated. Hopefully. Yeah, I mean, the last two guests I've had on here, I mean, I had you and I had Dan, who was a Colts fan the week before. And I figured, oh, the Colts can't lose the Jaguars. So. Oh. I mean, he must have been actually sad. Yeah. He must have been, like, actually depressed. I am upset, but I knew we weren't going to win. He had all expectations to be in the playoffs, and instead he's just not doing nothing. Yeah, I think he said he couldn't really could not watch the finale of Hard Knocks, which is painful. I forgot that there was an in-season of Hard Knocks. I completely forgot that. And it's the Colts as a team. And it was the Colts as a team. That is crazy. That's a great point. That's, you cannot bring Carson Wentz back after that. You cannot. I know Frank Wright is loyal, but you cannot do that. No, you can't. I think he showed you down the stretch that he cannot be counted on in these big games. No, no. You put Russell Wilson, though, in Indianapolis in a dome, that'd be dangerous. Oh, he absolutely would. I don't know if he's going to get traded, but I think that would be a spot to watch if he do. They were he's definitely there. getting traded. He keeps on saying, I want to be here in San Fernando. I want to be here in Seattle. I want to stay, finish my career here. I love Pete Carroll. Meanwhile, there's reports of him wanting a trade every single time. He's the one, his agents are telling the people that he wants to trade, even though he's saying he wants to stay. There's no way he plays for Seattle next year. The question is, Seattle is willing to do it. That's my question. They get enough back. If Seattle gets three first round picks plus some other whatever incentives, they are definitely going to let him go. The question is, if if they trade uh, Russell Wilson, does Pete Carroll stay? That's the question. Yeah, I don't know if Pete Carroll will stay without Russell Wilson. I would agree. That would be the question I would be asking. Yeah, absolutely. And while I have you, I want to get your like, quick catch up here. I know you're the Stanko, like the viewing guy every week on Stanko stands. What's some of the stuff you've been watching lately? I just watched a Remini scene on HBO Max with uh, Hugh Jackman and Rebecca Ferguson. Not good. Was not a fan. So don't watch that one. But I did watch two phenomenal documentaries recently, Mike. I watched two rock climbing documentaries, The Alpinist, which came out in November, I believe, on Netflix. Um, Just a crazy story about a guy who trailblazed the idea of rock climbing these crazy mountains and then passed away in an avalanche and had kind of his life tale. But then one even better was called The Dawn Wall, which came out in 2018, which features El Capitan, which was also featured in Free Solo. It's a different route up El Capitan, uh, where two of these guys lived on the mountain for basically three weeks and scaled what is the hardest rock face in all of North America. And the story of why they did it and how they did it, remarkable documentary, incredible to watch. Uh, So definitely recommend watching The Dawn Wall wherever you could see it. 
Oh, for sure. I think that's definitely some fun stuff. I give you what I've watched lately is like I've been checking us out of the new streaming series. Peacemaker is a straight up like instant recommend. And we get more into the blog next week. I'm gonna write a post on some of the stuff I've been checking out. It's probably your lead here. I think that show is a lot of fun. The greatest opening crazy because of all time, in my opinion. I think that's of all it. time. Of all time, it is iconic. I, I plan on watching it. I just haven't had the free time yet on the train because I was finishing that Hugh Jackman bad, bad movie. Just a real swing and a miss. Yeah. Um, but I do plan on watching Peacemaker because I think that's a nice one to cleanse the palate if you're having a bad day. You watch John Cena being an idiot and he'll put a smile on your face. It is very raunchy at points. So I might be careful you got to watch it on the train. I got headphones. Yeah, I mean, in terms of the visuals. If, if people are watching what I have on my phone over my shoulder and there's some nudity or some gratuitous violence, that's their fault for peeking on my phone. Oh, there, I feel zero sympathy for them. Oh, oh there will be. Good. Excellent. Yeah. Fine. I hope someone peeks over my shoulder is offended so then I can <laughs> yell at them when they glare at me. Yeah, that one's good. How about your father? I, I thought it was fine. I thought it was better than I hoped. I thought it was going to be, so I'll give that a ride. And I did watch The Matrix Resurrections, and you were right when we stuck around that's the right. party. It was definitely a meta movie. <laughs> well, what were your thoughts on Matrix Resurrections? Because, uh, I mean, I typed out mine, and I know you hadn't seen it yet last time we talked. So what were your thoughts? I thought for what it was, it hooked me in a lot faster than I thought it was going to. I was sitting like, oh, you know, why are we doing this? We know that they both died in the last movie. And then the storyline kind of was a little hokey. I think it lost points for me having Neil Patrick Harris be the villain of the thing. That hurt a little mm-hmm. bit. But I think overall, I thought it was solid. I gave it a C+. I gave it a B. Um, again, for I thought for what it was, it was entertaining. I I actually enjoyed the first half of the movie, but then the second half really fell off. Um, the biggest part for me is that they made Trinity the hero, but we never saw Trinity kind of have a scene by herself where she was uh, reconciling the emotions of wanting to be with Neo versus wanting to be in the fake life that she was had. We only saw that when she was talking with Neo or interacting with Neo. So I would have liked to see more self-reflection of her character in the movie, but for what it was meant to be, which was an action meta return to the matrix, I was entertained. And for the most part, the action was pretty darn good. Um, except for maybe the final 20 minutes was just a CGI fest. Um, but again, I was entertained and it was not an abomination. Like I truly expected it to be. Yeah. I mean the cast, I like what they did with some of the names they brought in. Cause like a lot of people I liked in there, like Jonathan Groff from my, from, uh, he was, he was the best part of the movie. Yeah, I, I thought Jonathan Groff was excellent. Yeah. I loved him having, uh, like, uh, Jessica Henwick in there as bugs was fun. Having the, like the, the, the robot commanders were working with her unit was fun. And yeah, NPH was fun until I figured out he was going to be the villain because based on the blue glasses, I'm like, oh, we're not. Like, yeah, I all, the, not, all the hints. i like, oh, I hope we're not doing that. And then he is the villain. I'm like, I wish we had somebody a little more like like sinister in there than NPH. He's not really like a villain type. No, and I think maybe that was part of the casting decision because he's he seems nice around you, whatever. Like, I don't know, like. I think it was, I think they cast him because people didn't expect him to be the villain. I think going into the movie, people expected Jonathan Groff to be the agent and to be, oh no, he's the bad guy. He's the one manipulating Neo, Mr. Anderson, the entire time, not, not, uh, Neo, uh, Neil Patrick Harris. So I think that cast decision was a little bit on purpose. Yeah. But I think, again, though, like they made it too obvious with the blue glasses and him prescribing the blue, yeah. blue pills. Like I should have done a little more misdirection and wanted him to be an effective villain. Well, Wachowski can be on the nose quite quite a bit of times. And the first half of this movie is just straight up punching you in the face with nostalgia. And, hey, remember this? Remember this scene? Remember why this is awesome? Like, just reminding you every single bit of the way. 
Yes, I forgot. Yaya, Yaya Abdul-Mateen as the uh, new Morpheus is also fun. I liked him when he was in the Matrix, but I did not like him as the robot cybernetic bunch of bots weaving between the furnaces, the furnace pipes. I didn't enjoy that aspect of him. I liked him when he could be flamboyant in his glasses and his hats and his crazy outfits. But let the man act. Let the man show some emotion. Like, let him be a person. Don't let him be an AI. Yeah, and obviously, last thing I also want to ask you, Boca Boa Fett so far, thumbs up or thumbs down? I would say thumbs middle. Can I say that? Yes, you can say middle. Uh, I thought the first episode was good. I thought the second episode was great. And I thought the third episode was bad. Um, so it's right smack dab in the middle for me. It's crazy that the two of the lesser episodes were both directed by Robert Rodriguez, who I was most excited yeah. to have at the head of this project. But his two episodes have been by far the clunkiest. The action in his two episodes have been the worst action of the entire series, which is crazy to say for Robert Rodriguez. Um, but I'm really hoping this Wednesday is a good bounce back because episode three, uh, what was it? The gangs of Moss Espa the or street, the, the streets street. of Moss Espa. Yep. It just, it was not good. The last 10 minutes of that episode were tough to watch. Yeah. Tough. Yeah. You're right there on my grades. I think I gave the first one a seven. Second one was an eight. And the third episode, I gave it four. Yeah. Third episode was, third episode is the worst piece of new Star Wars content I have seen. Since Rise of Skywalker. Since, yeah. Since the Rise of Skywalker. Yeah. And it, again, I really, it was, I really enjoyed the Rancor coming in, but I just, you have the twin huts, you build them up in the second episode as possible big bad guys. And then 15 minutes into the third episode, they're just gone being like, nah, we're not here anymore, but here's a Rancor. I was like, what are we doing with this plot? It's moving so much faster than any season of the Mandalorian. It's just not letting you breathe in, like taking the characters. So I did not enjoy, really didn't enjoy the third episode. So I hope the fourth one slows down gets back to what made the second episode so good. Also, stop having Boba Fett talk so much. Yeah. He's supposed to be a mysterious dude. Like, let him, like, linger in the mystique and in the ethos of his character and not have him talking so much. Yeah, I feel like, Pete, like, you made a good point about the plot raising, but as Pete has also pointed out in the Sky Guys podcast, hopefully we'll get you on there for the end of the season here. Like, it does feel like, to. it feels like with this show, sort of like the plot just goes in circles where you're kind of circling back to where you are at the beginning of the episode. A lot's happening, but you're not really moving the ball forward that much. Yeah, it, they're they're rushing to go nowhere yes. is really what it is. It's they're it's like you're it's like they're living in New York City, rushing to get out, but then they get in a taxi and they're stuck at red lights every bit of the way, and then that's that's just what they're doing. So I I hope that they're able to maybe find some detours and get some meaningful story in there, but we'll see what happens on Wednesday. Yeah, and I also point out this theory on the Sky Guys. Well, again, I will point the other show to the Sky Guys podcast how to subscribe that feed about the stuff early, but. It feels like sort of the villains are these rushing nesting dolls. You're popping out somebody different every episode. First was the mayor's assistant. Then it was the mayor. Then it was the huts. Now it's the pikes. There's somebody behind the pikes. I don't know. But like, there's too many villains that not staying around very long. I think the pikes are going to be here to stay because that is the direct connector between Boba Fett's flashbacks and now the present, right? Yeah. The, you saw that last episode that immediately those two things are connecting. So I think the pikes are going to be here to stay for the rest of the episode. And I think the end of this series the end of this season i should say is going to be who's behind the pikes and that's going to be the tease for the next season if there is one that's what i think i think it's either i think i agree with you i put on the sky guys podcast who it is i'll not spoil that people have not gotten to that third episode recap yet but i will also say here i think it also push the general mandoverse story forward i think that's what the purpose of this show is like that we're gonna find out who's behind this and that's gonna tie us forward going in that direction yeah yeah i, w I would say that as well i would say that's a good theory all right, John, thanks a lot of time. I really appreciate it. Before I let you go, I'm going to be on social media and keep up with the uh, Stanko Stance stuff. 
You can follow me on any social media, Twitter, Instagram, primarily at jstanko99. And you could find any of my writings or ramblings at at stankosstance.com. All right, John. Thanks for all the time. Really appreciate it. Thank you, Mike. The two-minute drill. All right, two-minute drill time. We've talked about the NBA a little bit. Talk Brooklyn Nets basketball. We took a big hit over the weekend. Kevin Durant has a knee injury. Good news is not season ender, but he is going to be out four to six weeks. That does suck for the Nets, who are trying to get into a rhythm here, try and secure home court throughout the Eastern Conference playoffs. But the good news is they have Kyrie Irving back on a part-time basis. Irving's still not vaccinated, but the Nets cave when they were going through the COVID outbreak. They were worried about running KD and James Harden into the ground, so bringing back Kyrie made sense on that regard. At this point, Kyrie can only play in road games. NYC's vaccine mandate prohibits him from entering Barclays Center or MSG without a shot, so he can't play on the road against the Knicks either. There are a lot of road games coming up for the Nets, so he should be able to help them a lot while KD's out, but Stefan Bondi of the New York Daily News found a potentially interesting loophole to that mandate. So Bondi looked up the actual mandates, legal laws in New York City. Violations of the mandate are penalized, escalating series of fines. The first one is a warning, then a $1,000 fine, then a $2,000 fine, then $5,000 fines, the fourth offense to infinity. Obviously, it's going to deter the average Joe from breaking this mandate because that's a lot of money. But for an NBA franchise worth $2.65 billion, that's the equivalent of about 10 cents. The Nets don't play at home again until next Tuesday against the Lakers. He would not be eligible for 20 games the rest of the way. 18 at home, 2 at MSG. For the sum total of $88,000, they could theoretically pay the fines, have Irving available for every regular season game, and then just pay more for the playoffs. There are two problems here. First is the public perception would be horrendous. The Nets would get destroyed for just paying a fine and let Irving skirt the mandate. Also worth pointing out, the Nets owner, Joe Tsai, is a big proponent of the vaccines. He's not going to go for just paying the fines to help his basketball team win. He's not going to do that. The other issue right now comes from Adrian Wojnarowski, who looked into this after the Bond report came out. He basically said, the NBA rules prohibit teams from paying the fines to get out of local health ordinances. So the NBA is saying, you can't pay a fine to get Kyrie eligible. So right now, that idea is scuttled, but... Right now, I don't think it's a big deal because the Nets can manage without him at home. But as the playoffs get closer, the question gets more important to Brooklyn because the East is loaded this year. You have, obviously, Milwaukee's trying to repeat. The Heat are very good. The Bulls are surging. The teams below them are challenging. What does Brooklyn do to try and win his first championship? Because obviously having Kyrie be full-time is a much better shot than having Kyrie part-time. Will New York City lift the mandate or alter the mandate if COVID really plummets at this Omicron wave? It's starting to go down, but will they decline it further? Will the NBA alter its rules and allow teams like the Nets to pay the fine to get around the ordinance? Will Kyrie himself say, you know what? I want to be here full-time during the playoffs. I'll get a vaccine in March. That way I'm eligible to play at home in the playoffs. This is a fascinating situation. 
And what I'm glad 19 is not a deal because that's a massive headache. With that, I want to end the show. I want to thank Daryl Slater for coming on here talking all sorts of Giants football scenarios. I guess an update on the GM search, head coach search. I also want to thank the great John Stanko for doing the NFL picks. A lot of fun there. You are going to stuff like this podcast, including my review of Marvel's Eternals. And spoiler alert, I did not love it. Check out the blog over at justinthesuffering.wordpress.com. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, Amazon, all your usual suspects. Simply search for Just End the Suffering, your favorite podcast platform. You can find all our episodes there. Feel free to your feedback and starring as well. It'll make the podcast even better going forward. I also want to do the weekly reminder for the Sky Guys podcast. We are recapping the Book of Boba Fett weekly podcast coverage. Chapter 4, that podcast will be in this feed over the weekend. But if you want early access to it, subscribe to the Sky Guys feed. You search for the Sky Guys and all your favorite podcast platforms. Those get dropped the day after you record them. So you want a Chapter 4 recap on Thursday. We'll record it on Wednesday night. So go ahead, check that out. If you want to get early access to those podcasts, or if you just like to support the Star Wars stuff in general, please do that. You can follow me on Twitter at mphillips331. That's M-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-331. And that's going to do it for this week's episode of the Just End the Suffering podcast. Coming up next week, we're going to do a preview of the conference championship game, getting almost the Super Bowl, do some picks, and more. Until I hope you have a better week than the Cowboys fans. This has been the Just End the Suffering Podcast. I'm out.